0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: Praise God. Praise God. For the last several services, we have been so honored and humbled to have Brother Stacy Thomas with us. Not only is Brother Thomas just a preacher, Amen. Not just another preacher, but oh, what insight God has given him to the word of the Lord. Then the opportunity and the ability to break off those nuggets of truth and then put them on a shelf where I feel like all of us can reach it. Amen. He is not preaching so far over our head that we just can't seem to grasp it and pull it into reality yet he is sharing with us some very profound truths and insight to the Word of God. Very, very humble to call him a friend. It has been so refreshing. I told him multiple times since he's been here how refreshing it has been to me personally. Much less our church. But I can just speak for me how refreshing it has been to just be with him. Not only in the services, but just to be one-on-one and just uh, allow iron to sharpen iron. Amen. I feel so much better off. And I feel that my life is so great and so much more enhanced than it was just a few days ago. Amen. I wonder if you'd make him welcome today. And I wonder if you'd stay with him all the way to the end. And let the Spirit of God.
2: Amen. Why don't you just offer that to the Lord? I believe we get the attention of God when we worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Savior. You can be seated just for a moment. God bless all of you. Man, it has certainly been my delight uh, to have been here these past few days and um I I've, I've got good news for me that uh I'll I'll be around a few more days, maybe uh not preaching to you, but uh at least being in fellowship with your pastor and his family. I I feel like that I feel like I'm among friends uh, this morning. I really do. You know, there are places uh, doing what I do that I'm, I'm pretty sure in all likelihood uh, it's kind of a, uh, a one-time affair. You know, I, I come in, and I love everybody for a moment and shake hands, and, and then I'm gone. And, uh, and very frankly, embarrassingly to say, I, some places I don't remember <laughs> So I'm just kind of in and out, and we, you know, we had a good service, or perhaps, a lot of times you remember a place for two reasons, one of two reasons, either it was exceedingly bad, <laughs> or it was exceedingly good, am I telling the truth, <laughs> and I can tell you today, uh, that this church has always been a very, has a very special place in my heart, because it has just tapped out on the end of the good spectrum way over here and uh, I've spoken to my wife several times since I've been here and she tells me how jealous she is uh, because she wasn't able to be here and uh, I do miss them you never get used to being away from your family you just you never get used to that and uh, heathens they may be but they're mine and I miss them (laughs) I know yours are angels, but I'm being truthful, <laughs> but I do miss them, and uh, uh, I certainly miss the company of my wife. We have, uh, the, the older we get, the more we phase into that discussion zone, and uh, a lot of times in the morning, and, and usually when I'm at home, our day starts, as yours does, uh, while it's still dark, and uh, we'll just kind of sit in the living room, and, and uh, I'll drink coffee, and She'll drink a Diet Coke and we just talk about life. And, uh, I, I have grown to appreciate, uh, the, the concept of marriage more and more as I get older because you find out, uh, that, that becomes a friend to you. It's, it's not just somebody you share the house with, they become a friend to you. And I, I do miss them. So pray for me about that. I have, I have so enjoyed these services that I've been in. You you folks have just entertained a very wonderful spirit of the Lord. And uh, God didn't just sh- show up. A lot of times he's there because he's been invited to be there. And you have invited him uh, to be in these services. And I'm so appreciative of that. It's refreshing to see congregations and pastors who are progressive in the work of the Lord. Amen. We're not just holding our own we are progressive. Uh, This is something that I I preached a number of times, just kind of mentioned in passing, but the unique thing about living for God is that uh, if we're not progressive, we are regressive because we don't just stand still in living for the Lord. Uh, One church that we frequent from time to time, uh, it just seems to be a cliche of that particular location. It's all about Winning souls. It's all about winning souls. Now, I'm going to be adamant with you. Uh, it's a very huge part of what the church is, is about winning the lost. But if it was all about winning the lost and not retaining who was saved, you would just have a revolving door all the time. So we can't, we can't focus on one without focusing on the other. It is, in fact, uh, about winning the loss, but it's also about imparting unto us uh, the word of the Lord, which brings me to where uh, I am this morning. I, it is about imparting to us when we open the bread of life. Uh, I, I, re, I, was, I thought about it as the service was progressing many years ago, when I was just starting out. Uh, there was an elder pastor that I was preaching for, and, and he sat in my truck. And I said, "I want you to tell me why is it that God designed fallible man to preach an infallible word? Why, why, why do you think that?" It? I couldn't wrap my brain around that. Early in my ministry, the Lord certainly had laid it upon my heart the responsibility of what I do. This is not just a career choice for me. Amen. I'm a carpenter by trade. I enjoy the trade. And I have, as my nets, I have forsaken that. This is not just a career choice for me. Amen. Um, This is a calling to me. And I wanted to know all I could know about that calling. And even with all of his many years in ministry, he just simply said, There's something about preaching the word of God. It sounds elementary, but it really is summed up with there's something about it. We can't put our finger on it. This is God's design. Amen. The best I could explain it, this is God's method of his choosing to impart unto us. And I say us. Incorporating myself, it is God's method to impart unto us strength, the knowledge to be saved, the knowledge and fortitude to stay saved, amen, and then to do the will of God. If you want to know what the will of God is, you know his word. This is the heartbeat of God, amen. If it is contrary or in opposition to this book, then it is in opposition to the will of God. No questions asked. That's, that's an imperative of the Bible. It's not up for negotiation. There's no need to pray about it. It's already written. It's settled in heaven. Amen. And I appreciate the call of God into my life. I want to read to you from the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 14. Again, thank you for uh, allowing me to come, Brother Boyd. I certainly appreciate that. Uh, I did get to hear your pastor preach Friday night uh, at the um, anniversary service over there somewhere. We, we went... We went over there, that's all I can tell you, and uh, we had a a good time, but more than that, as he had already mentioned, and I I wanted to say this publicly, that uh, I've heard your pastor preach practically every day, one-on-one in my life. There's just something about the ministry, uh, and if I I say this reverently, you you won't, uh, as the brother said, many, many, many years he had been around, but with many years my senior not only in living but in the word of god in ministry there's much to glean uh, from your pastor and and i don't know if he has anything left for you i've gleaned about all there is i told him friday night i said now, I, i'm going to use what you what you said tonight I, i'm not stealing it I, i'm telling you fair and square i'm <laughs> i'm i'm going to use that Praise God. I appreciate the word of the Lord and men who preach it, don't you? Amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. uh, Let me begin reading with verse number 1. The Bible said, So Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet ten years And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God, for he took away the altars of the strange gods in the high places and break down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers to do the law and the commandment. And he took away out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fenced cities in Judah for the land had rest and he had No war in those years because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore, he said unto Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us, because we have sought the Lord, our God, and we have sought him on uh, and because we have sought him and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered and A.C. had an army. Everybody say A.C. Had an army of men that bear targets and spears out of Judah three hundred thousand, out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew boards, uh, bows two hundred and fourscore thousand. All these were mighty men of valor. Savior, thank you today for allowing us to come back into your house. Lord, we approach you not with a hurried spirit, but we come to you to sit at your feet a little while that you would open our understanding, impart again unto us strength and wisdom, and let us live our lives in the prudence of your word. For thou, O Lord, through thy word has made us wiser than our enemies. God, let this fall upon our ears as the oracle of God, and we'll be careful to praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you again as see Thank you so much uh, for standing honoring the word of the Lord. There are a few things that I would like to to uh, make note of here in my scripture reading, and uh, I'm, I'm intentionally uh, I'm intentionally starting slow because there are some things that that I just feel like that that you and I need. We need them as individuals. We need them as fathers. We need them as mothers. We need this as uh, husband and wives togetherness. We need them as houses. We need them a home, a church, as ministry, I believe that we all stand in need of what I'm about to say to us this morning. So uh, my heart is heavy with that reality. So just bear with me uh, a little while, if you will. I want to use for a thought, and and, and you're going to see where I'm going pretty quickly here. I want to use for a thought weapons with no war. Weapons with no war. It is inconceivable to us, Uh, Those of you in particular, Brother Gibson, you mentioned uh, having been in uh, the Vietnam uh, era during that wartime. My father-in-law was in that, and uh, some of you here might have been in that. Maybe you have dads or uncles or somebody that was involved in that. Uh, And then, of course, in recent years and how this country has been uh, involved at war doing its best, ever how you feel that's good or not, doing its best to, to keep the enemy at bay over there rather than allowing it to come here. And uh, I think that almost every community has been touched in some way uh, by warfare, not only in recent years, but in your complete, entire memory. Uh, and I feel like that regardless of how old you might be here this morning, uh, you can probably recall America being in some conflict, a skirmish, or war of sorts, and it it is inconceivable to us how uh, this country could uh, formulate an army of men uh, and put them on an airplane or a ship, send them overseas, send them to the battlefront, and uh, allow them to have the commandment from government to... Keep the keep the enemy there and don't allow the enemy on our home soil. Protect your wives, your children, your way of living. And give to those men nothing to fight with. You couldn't imagine giving them tanks with no munitions for that tank. You couldn't imagine giving them jet airplanes, fighter planes, and not arming those fighter planes. You wouldn't dare think that a government would send an an army of footmen into uh, a battle zone and give to them rifles, but nothing to put in the chamber of that rifle. You just wouldn't think of that. And as detrimental as that would be, let me flip the coin over and tell you in a spiritual sense how detrimental it is for us, again, as individuals, as dads and moms and homes and marriages and ministries, Uh, It is also detrimental to us to have uh, weapons that God has given to us and no war to use them in. Uh, I'm not reaching for something that is uh, just completely on the edge of uncanny or weird or strange. I'm telling you where we are in this world today. There There is something that has lulled, by and large, the people of God to sleep. Uh, I, have, I, I have heard testimonies, I have heard our elders, I have heard ministers tell us of days of yesteryear when men and women prayed in their homes regularly and you could hear them from outside praying in their home. That prayer was a very vital part of the early church and it is still a very vital part of our existence today. Amen. I appreciate those alone times with God. There's just nothing like that. I can't explain to you what that does to me. Uh, I, I was at a church not too long ago. As a matter of fact, it was last year. And uh, I asked point blank, I asked the pastor for a key to the sanctuary because I like to visit the house of the Lord by myself. I was denied a key to the sanctuary. I I stood there in, in, in 23 years of preaching and most of those years doing what I'm doing now. The only time I have ever been denied a key to the house of the Lord was that time. Friend, I want you to understand something today. If God has equipped us with something as prayer and powerful as fasting that you've been involved in, and has equipped us with the preached word of the Lord, the lived the quick, the living word of God, then, then we should expect some battles. If God has given us weapons, don't be surprised when the battles come your way. It's just gonna happen. The farmer sowed seed, he had his servants to sow seeds in the field, the wheats came up, and the tares came up with the wheat. The servants were shocked because there was tares among the wheat. They said, do you want us to go get them out? We, we need to get them out. They were surprised because the farmer apparently was a good farmer. Their experience with him was one of, 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 of a good experience. He knew what to do. The Bible said there was good seed. He sowed it on good ground. So we were just, as servants, we were just in awe because there was not a good crop. We didn't understand what was happening. You and I don't need to be taken by surprise if we have good pastor, good musicians, good singing, good congregation, good worship, that hard times might fall upon us. That hell comes against your home and comes against your marriage and fights your pastor and fights your altars and fights people who have sang to you and you have worshiped with their singing. Don't be surprised, my friend, because God has given us weapons that there will come a war. Amen. Jesus tells us as the church that you are You are set forth as lights to this world. You are lights to this world. You are a city that is set upon a hill. A city that is set upon a hill. Now there is purpose for what Christ said. And there is reason for why it is found in the word of God. You, the church, the redeemed, the blood washed... You are a city that is set upon a hill. Cities were not put on hills just to look pretty. They were not set on hills just to be a spectacle of everybody that would be a passerby. They were set on hills even though it was a matter of inconvenience. Let me say that again. It was a matter of inconvenience at times, but the city was still set on a hill. Imagine getting your drinking water up the hill. Imagine planting food for sustenance and provender for your animals on the hillside. It's one thing to be a, a grower on flat ground, but take your crops to the hillside. And have to deal with that. It was inconvenient at times. But God said you are a city and I have put you there on purpose. Cities were put on heels for two primary reasons. Number one was have an advantageous perspective of what was coming to them. They could see farther. They had a position of advantage upon those that would come to them. Number two reason was so that they could have an advantage over those coming to them. Sounds like I'm being redundant, but think about it. God said, I'm going to put my city, I'm going to put you, I'm going to put my church on a hill because I already know the enemy's coming. I already understand That you're going to endure hard times. You're going to face some difficult times. I am bringing you into the church. I am enlightening you on what repentance is. I am telling you about what baptism in my name is. I am telling you to be emphatic about that. I am telling you about what receiving the Holy Ghost is all about. I am already equipping you as a new convert about a battle that you don't even know about. I am taking you, I am taking you, and I am putting you on a hillside. And you're going to scratch your head wondering why in the cornbread did God put me on a hill? It would have been so much easier down there to put our planting on level ground, to dig our wells on level ground, to put our houses on level ground. No, sir, that's not where God put the redeemed. He said, I am putting my church on a hill. Because I know hell's going to come against their marriage. I'm putting you on a hill because I know hell's going to come against your young people. I'm putting you on a heel because I know difficult time is coming. I'm going to put you in a position to win before you ever get engaged in the war. I want to go back... I want to go back to my scripture reading. You're probably wondering, how did I ever get away from that? I'm not away from it. I'm just building foundation. Let me go back to A.C. The Bible said that A.C. had assumed the throne after uh, his dad died. And the Bible said the land was quiet for 10 years. So my scripture reading. The land was quiet 10 years in verse 1. 10 years all A.C. had to do was eat grapes and be fanned by the servants. For 10 years... All he had to do was look upon his empire and thank God about how easy life is. But one day, one day an army came against Asi. This was not something completely unforeseen to the king because the scripture tells us that Asi said in my scripture reading that we have sought the Lord... He's given us rest. Let's build and prosper. So Asi had an army, and he had an army of men that bear targets and spears. He had out of Judah 300,000, and he had out of Benjamin that bear shields and drew bows thousand. He had a, a somewhat significant army. So apparently, while the land was quiet, he assembled His men. He enabled His men. He gave them spears. He gave them bows. He gave them targets to practice that. He gave them all the things that they would need to be victorious in battle in the future while the land was quiet. I can't wait to know what prayer is when the battle gets here. It would be good for us to know what prayer is like before the hard times get here. He had fenced cities in Judah. The land had rest because he had no war. A.C. had no war, but A.C. had an army. No war, just an army with weapons. No reason to fight. I am sure that while Ace's command was practice, 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 pray, 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 his men were probably wondering why are we out here with such grueling responsibilities whenever all of the land has rest. There's nothing wrong. We're not going to war. We're not trying to broaden our horizon. We're just simply holding our own. Why are we commanded to keep practicing, practicing, practicing? More push-ups, more pull-ups, more miles to march and run, more missions to practice at night. What's going on here because there's no war? Why is it that your pastor set forth in the month of January, perhaps when everything seems like it's going okay? The reason why is because you don't know what February has waiting for you. You don't know what March has waiting for you. But one day AC was approached by a neighboring empire that he just didn't know what to do with. The Bible said, and, and this continues in the same chapter, there came out against them Zera the Ethiopian with a host of a thousand, thousand, a million men and 300 chariots. Chariots were the Abram's tank of the day. 300 of those and a million men on foot to come against Asa. Asa didn't know what to do. This army outnumbered his two to one. He knew that he had the odds stacked against him. So he did the only thing any righteous man would do. A.C. cried unto the Lord his God. And he said, It is nothing with thee to help whether with many or with them that have no power. Help us. O Lord our God, we rest on thee. Long story short, God gave them the victory. He fought for them. And again, AC was back in his throne, looking at a peaceful land, <laughs> having an army with no more war, looking like everything was all right. We haven't dealt with any church split in 20 years. We haven't had to pray against the tongue of gossip in 14 years. Why should we preach against those things? One man asked my pastor one time, he said, why are you so adamantly preaching against things that's not even going on in your church? He said, sir, you just answered your own question. There are some things we do not because it's happening or going on but it's some things we preach about there's some reasons we pray to keep them out of our home. To keep them out of our church. Oh hallelujah. While everything was good God had, And I'm just going down through the chapter here in 14 and 15. Everything was good. AC put his feet up, uh, had the servant with the grapes come back. Everything's going great for Asi again. And here comes the prophet of the Lord, Azariah, the son of Odan. The Spirit of God came upon him. He went to Asi and he said, Asi, I've got something to tell you. I'm all ears, O prophet. And he said, and I quote, Hear me, A.C., and all of Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. And with a cheek full of grapes, A.C. is probably thinking, This guy's wasting his time. Where was he when the million man army come against us? Where was he when I fell on my face and I cried unto the Lord? He don't need to remind me of what's right and wrong. I already know. I feel like I'm digging right now. Is that okay? Can I preach to you? I don't need to hear that preacher every Wednesday night tell me how to live my life. I already know that. Sounds like a very elementary prophecy. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. If you love him, he'll love you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I already know that. I already live like that. There's no reason for you. Ain't there somebody else you can go prophesy to? Aren't there other kings that ain't doing right? Right? But I already know that. Let me, let me just get to where I'm going. I'm just going to turn the page and get to where I'm going. 2 Chronicles 15. I'm just one chapter later. The scripture says, after the Ethiopian army had come in, and uh, A.C. prayed, God gave them victory. A.C. hears the word from the prophet of the Lord that I just told you about. The scripture said, and there was no more war until the five and thirtieth year of the reign of Asi. Asi's biggest problem was not that he didn't have an army. It wasn't that they didn't have shields and spears and bows. Asi's problem was not the fact that he didn't have trained men of valor. Asi's problem was he didn't have enough war in his life. For ten years the land was quiet. Here comes the army of the Ethiopian, outnumbered him two to one. And for 25 more years, there's nothing else going on. Until one day. Until one day. And I'm just going through the chapters here. nothing profound. It's all in your Bible. Chapter 16, in the 6th and 30th year of the reign of Asi, 36 years into his reign, Baasha king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in unto Asi king of Judah. And then listen to what Asi does. Asi brought out silver and gold out of the treasures of the house of the Lord, of the king's house, and he sent them to Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Syria. Now, if you're going to ask help from anybody, why not do what you did the first time you had war? If you're going to ask anybody for help, why could you not go back to God Get on your face again, cry out to God. L- Listen, folks, my head ain't so far in the sand to not know what year it is. But if I know it worked seventy-five years ago when a church was planted here, I know prayer and fasting and truth will work right now. He said, so Why come you couldn't go back to God? No, the king of Syria had it all going for him. So I'm going to bring silver and gold and treasures out of the house of God and I'm going to send it to him and I'm going to make a pact with him. AC, do you not remember what you so boldly spake against when the first prophet of the Lord came to you and said very simply, if you seek him, he'll be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Have you forgotten that? Oh, God. Hey, said, so what happened? Are you not the same man that you were 25 years ago? Are you not the same king that's ruling over my people that you were 25 years ago? Friend, I, I fully expect the Lord to return back any time. I think he's coming back very soon. As a matter of fact, it's kind of like my my pastor said, if you plan on dying before God gets here, you better hurry up and die. (laughs) I just feel like that the coming of the Lord is soon upon this world. But if he tarries 25 years from now, I want the church, some of you that are young now, that will be old with me then, I hope you can say he's the same preacher, preaching the same message, with a powerful anointing on his life. I want that said about me. Asu, where did you miss the boat? Did God not do the right thing for you? Did he not answer your prayer the way you wanted him to answer Did you get sold up at God, mad at God because He said no? Can you not trust Him that if He doesn't grant it, you've just got to know that it was best interest for your life? That's a lot easier for us to stay standing and testifying with 100 saints in the room. I just trust the Lord for whatever comes my way. But you let whatever come your way come your way. And you say that while you're laying on the couch staring at the darkness and the rest of the house is snoring and you can't figure out which direction to go in. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I know that I am leader of my home. That doesn't mean that that I've got a long switch and I've... I beat everybody. I I don't mean that. I already told you. My wife and I, we love those times of discussion. (laughs) But I understand at the end of the day, my kids need to know that dad is a praying dad. They need to know that what dad is preaching, he believes. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I need my daughter to say to her husband in the future, I know this ain't right, husband, because my daddy taught me better than this. Oh, glory to God. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Some of you, some of you young ladies that might be of the courting age, Let me tell you, what to keep you safe in your courting age. It's all right. I don't mean to be pastoring, but I got a girl of my own. You let them know how much you love your daddy. You let them know, I I, I need to call my daddy. You know what the enemy will do whenever he comes against your home? You know what he'll do whenever you say, oh, wait a minute, I need to consult my daddy. I just need to see if this is all right. I just need some altar time i need I need four or five days. I need a week or two to seek God. I just need to make sure hey see so where did all this go wrong with you? You were such an astute man spiritually 25 years ago. You knew who God was. You knew who your Redeemer was. You knew He was the God that Abraham built altars to. And why you so readily fell before Him 25 years ago, but now are seeking counsel somewhere else. You know, the problem a lot of times when people fall is because they will couple up They will couple up. They'll find somebody else to share their complaints with and their disgruntlements and their malcontentness. and They'll find somebody else with the same perspective as they have. They'll start seeking counsel of Syria rather than seeking counsel of God. You know what I think we need? I think we need to be so appreciative of every spiritual battle that comes our way because it keeps us on our knees. It keeps us reminded of who our Father is and what He expects from us. Oh, glory to God. Let me let me let me, t- let me tell you something. I know a lot of you are very seasoned saints of God here. But some of you possibly are new converts, you've been in the church a year or two, a month, a day, an hour or so. Let me tell you let me, let me tell you this whatever you have experienced with God, whatever you have heard this preached and validated in your spirit because you've opened this book, hey, I've walked down that road. I know I know I was seventeen when I come into this, and all I had to do was open this blessed book, and I found where thus saith the Lord, as simplistic as it was, I read it in the scripture, and I said, like the Pharisees. I've never seen it on this passion. I've never heard it like this. I've never felt what I'm feeling now. And it was undeniable in my spirit. You hang on to that experience. Hang on to that. And before you get all the images painted in your mind that I'm going to be a spiritual giant, I'm going to be a preacher like he preaches, I'm going to be a singer like they sing, I'm going to play like they play, I'm going to shout like they shout, I'm going to pray in the altar like they pray, I'm going to be that spiritual giant in the church that everybody looks up to. Let me bring the bring you back. Let me back the truck up a little bit. Let me tell you something. Before you start defeating the armies of the church... We need to learn to, divide, to fight and defeat our personal enemies. Jesse sent little David out to the forefront, sent him down to where his brethren were fighting. He's got some cheese and some milk and some bread and whatever else he had. He gets down to where his brethren are, he said, Daddy wants to know how the war's going. What are y'all in that foxhole for? What y'all down there for? That's just my Louisiana vernacular. What y'all doing down there? The enemy's over there. Saul said, get down, get down, get down. Get down here with us. And his brethren were mad because they thought David was just coming out with that youthful curiosity and seeing how the battle was going. You don't belong here. No, 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 no. Daddy sent me here. And probably what Jesse don't know is that the Spirit of God had moved on him to instruct David to go to where he was. Well, here's your cheese anyway. And I still want to know who that guy is. Well, that's Goliath. He's defied the armies of God. So we can't tolerate this. I'll go fight him. He says send him a man. I'll go. Saul said, but you're not a man. You're just a boy. I, I know this is very familiar ground to us, but hang on just for a moment. If you will, humor me, if you will. The army's over there, guys. And that's where we need to go. We need to make sure that the enemy stays over there before it gets over here. Into our land. I'll go fight him. Saul says, no, you, you, you're you just a youth. And this man's been uh, a man of war since his youth. But you're just, you're just a kid. You can't do that. Three times David recollects something that apparently Saul had forgotten. He said, the servant of the Lord has fought the lion and the bear. Three times he says that. The point being here this morning is this. The reason that David could be so confident in fighting the enemy against the church was that he had confidence that God has built him up. He's defeated his own personal. I have fought the lion and the bear. And he said this uncircumcised Philistine will be as one of them. I know what God has done for me. I know where he's brought me from. I, I, I've heard I've heard preachers say, and listen, I, I'm not here to fight anybody. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not up for that, but I've heard preachers say, you can't live on yesterday's blessing. And in my youth, I said the same thing. But here recently, I have learned after some years of living for God, there are accounts in my life that if I was forgotten, if I was to forget them, wipe them out of my memory, I wouldn't have a chance right now. But I still remember the times that God blessed my house. I still remember the times that God come. Oh, I think I'm preaching to somebody who knows what I'm talking about. I think I'm preaching to some saints of God that know that I can remember how God blessed my house. I remember how God blessed my church. I'm not willing to throw in the towel. I'm willing to hang on because I know there's going to come a better day. He's he's given us our war for the moment for a reason. He didn't just throw a bunch of weapons in your lap and say, enjoy, rest, and peace all the days of your conversion. He gave you something to fight with. He put you on a hill. He put you in a position of advantage. He gave you the Holy Ghost. He gave you the Word of God. He gave you the preached Word of God, the living, the quick Word of God. He gave you what prayer is all about because He knew the enemy was coming. He knew the war was coming your way. The Bible said, "The Bible said in Jeremiah, 's he prophesied of Moab. He had been at his ease from his youth, and he had settled on his lees. I want to know what that was, so I just looked it up. Just indefinite, no big deal. I just looked it up. That was the that was the end result of the refining and process of making wine." And he has settled on his leaves and had not been emptied from vessel to vessel, neither had he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him and his scent is not changed. He had never been emptied from vessel to vessel. When the grapes were squeezed in the wine press, most of the time that was just simply people walking on them. How would you like some of that? It was just people walking on them. And they squeezed them out and then they took all of it and put it in vessels until the heavy part, the skins, the seeds, what stems and what leaves might have gotten into the mix would actually settle to the bottom. And then the, 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 the master of the wine making would actually take this vessel and slowly pour it over into another vessel, leaving the dregs in that other vessel. So you see how the process would go? And God likened Moab to this. He said he had settled on his lees; He had never been shaken in his life. He had never been poured from vessel to vessel. I'm telling you, when God is shaking you, He's refining you. He's making you into something that is pleasurable to Him. Don't get disgruntled with God when hard times come. Don't fall out with God. Don't leave the church. Don't walk away from Him. It's going to come your way. But what God is saying, I can't let you stay here on your leaves. I need to empty you and pour you from vessel to vessel oh god I've got I've got, I've got so much to say to you and I, I really am trying to hurry I really am trying to hurry I want to I want to close with something that I want to close with something that I just this is a very special part of my life is that alright if I do that this is early in my Early in my walk with the Lord. Matter of fact, w- when I was, when I just came to Christ, and uh, I'm going to tell you, I appreciate you guys what you're doing with this, with this heritage, putting it on a CD. Because while if, if you're 20 or 22 or so, you might not appreciate this now, but I'm telling you in years to come, you're going to appreciate this. The scripture said that no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. Sounds familiar, don't it? And we've quoted that, and we've quoted it, and we, we probably even sang about it. But I remember years ago uh, when I was seeking the Holy Ghost, uh, in, in that particular building we had two rows of pews. And so from the front looking back, Brother Dallas and Sister Hogue sat to my left, Close to the back, probably three or four pews. Very aged people, but people that was so settled in this apostolic doctrine. Brother Hogue didn't say much. Matter of fact, I don't even really remember what his voice sounded like. But I remember what he said one night. He was a he was a POW of World War Two. Brother Hogue said that when they captured him and put him. Uh, In the prison camp. And I saw pictures of those guys. It was a memorial service for veterans that we were doing. And and, uh, somebody had dug up a few of those pictures. And when I tell you skin and bones, friend, I'm telling you literally skin over bone. He said the Germans came into the camp one day and asked the prisoners there. Were there any machinists among them? Brother Hogue was a machinist by trade. He said, I was very reluctant to lift my hand because I didn't know what they were about to do. So they walked farther into the room they were in and they asked again, are there any machinists in here? Brother Hogue said, this might be an opportunity to save my life. So he lifted his frail little hand. I saw the pictures. They ask our good brother what would you accept to be a machinist in our shop? We are short on machinist. Brother Hogue said I asked them for a pair of boots. They took him out, gave him something to eat, gave him some decent clothes and the boots he had asked for. They put him in the machine shop, and his job was to make the barrels that went in their rifles. And you guys that hunt, you'll know when I'm talking about the twist in the barrel, it's what gives the projectile its accuracy. And Brother Hogue would take the twist in that barrel and contort it just enough to where the gun would lose its accuracy. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Brother Hogue didn't just save his life, but he saved the lives of his brethren. Do you want to know why no weapon formed against you shall prosper? is because the verse just prior to that says, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth on the coals. I made the one who's making the weapon against you. Friend, you're already a winner before the war ever starts. Because while the enemy's in there making the barrels... God said, I made your enemy. I'll take from him his craft. I'll take from him his ability. So what he planned and schemed against you for evil, God said, I will make it come out for your good. Oh, God. Oh, God. It might seem like it's more than I can bear. It might seem like I can't deal with it any longer. You might be the wife who has told that to your husband. You might be the good brother that's told that to your pastor. But can I tell you today to hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. God has already placed you in a position to be a winner. 35 years, and you fought one time, and you never had to so much as lift your sword then. God just blessed you. And now, 25 years later, you're wondering why this won't work when I try to make a pact and make a bargain and make a deal and try to work out some other way beside prayer and beside the church, beside God preaching to me through His man. Why won't it work now? It's because it never has. If for somehow, if you'd help me on the music please. If for somehow we could just simply remember of why we won as a new convert. Friend, I'm like you. I I had some pretty heated battles when I first came to Christ. And I look back and wonder how I got through that. It wasn't because I knew the Scripture. It wasn't because I was somebody that was astute in the church where I understood the goings-on and the mechanics of church. But I did understand the dynamics of this. You see, there's something different about us. There's something different. Everybody else don't do it like we do it, Pastor. I've been to those places that has all the mechanics They've got the musicians, and they've got the facility, and the pulpit, and the speaker, and they've got the singers, and they've got all the mechanics of this down pat. But they're missing the dynamics of this. You see, you and I cannot have the mechanics without the dynamics, because that wind of Pentecost has got to blow into our life. It's got to blow into our life. It is what empowers us to win against the enemy. He said, you're, soft and slow, please. He said, you are more, you are more than conquerors through him that have loved you. You are more. How can I be more than a conqueror? How can I be more than that? It's because men that I read throughout the Old Testament in particular, when they came to a city and overcame the city, they'd done that for a reason. They wanted the city, and so they began to build it back. The prophet said, For if I build again those things which I have destroyed, that I have made myself a transgressor. Now let me tell you what I perceive out of that. If I build again, leaving me to think that we're going to build something. We're not just coming in here with our old life, throwing it at the altar, and we've defeated all the vileness of sin. I've kicked the habits, and I've, I've put them out the house, and I've put them out. Then it's time to build back. And we don't build those things that we have destroyed, because if we do, we make ourselves a transgressor. But when I begin to build back, I'm building upon a foundation that can never be washed away. I'm putting my house not upon the sands of this world this time, but I'm putting my house upon the rock that I know is Christ. Thank God for your war today. Thank God for what you are fighting right now, for what you have fought in years gone by. But be thankful right now that God has already equipped you For the wars that are to come. Asi was so polluted in his thinking. That when the prophet came 25 years later to rebuke him. For making a league with the king of Syria rather than with God. Asi was so mad at him he put him in the prison house. I never would have thought that I'd hated my pastor. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I never would have dreamed that the man who spoke life into me 25 years ago that I would despise him now. I'm telling you what no battles would do for your mind. I'm telling you about what no warfare, no spiritual warfare would do for your thinking. He was diseased in his feet, the scripture said. And never ever one time, not that he sought God for the million man army opposing him, but just some disease in his feet, he couldn't even seek God for that. He turned to his physicians. You can never know how far you'll go with your thinking if you just be contented with living a life of ease. I'm not going to fight for my children. I'm not going to pray against the spirit of lasciviousness and perversion in my children's life. I'm not going to pray against anything in my church. Matter of fact, I'm not going to hardly pray at all. Friend, you are inviting upon you something as detrimental as sending you into war with no weapons. Come on folks, let's gather around this I I gotta quit and let God work with us again. Let God work with us one more time. Would you do that? Thank God. Come on, just thank God. Thank God for your war. Thank God that I've got to overcome my, my flesh. I've got to overcome my past. I've got to overcome, I've got to overcome the enemies against my house. I'm overcoming those things. Because I'm building upon a solid ground. Yeah, God, give us strength today. Thank you for our weapons, for our army, for our arsenal. But God, give us a war. Oh, God. Come on, let's sing it to the Lord right now. Take me back. Oh, take me back. Don't ever let us forget Calvary. Don't ever let us forget what you've done for us.